Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Good morning, church. Thanks for being here today. What What is the thing that you're waiting on? Think about that for a second. Or let me, let me put it like this. Fill in this blank for me. I need the Lord and what? How'd you fill that in? I mean, be honest with yourself for a second. How'd you fill that in? It doesn't have to be something super serious. So last two weeks, our, the Gentry family had some illness go through our family. So we were praying, I need the Lord and to feel better. You know, you've been there before. I can think of this uh, young man here at our church who's been praying for years that the Lord would, would give him a, a bride. He just wants to be married. I need the Lord and to be married. That's all he wants. Come to think of it, there's a young lady here who's praying for a husband. Maybe we should get them together. What about my high schoolers in the room? What's the thing that you're, you're praying for? I need the Lord and keys to the car and freedom, right? Or maybe it's, you know, passing some test or entrance into the school that you're wanting to go to. Or what about the parents in the room? I mean, parents know what it's like to have something they're praying for, for one of their kids or maybe all their kids. Maybe it's something hard. Lindsay and I have some of those things. It's like, she's praying for that one thing for our kid. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe it's for your spouse or for your parents. Maybe they're struggling and you're just you're trying to serve them and build them up. And every day you're just on your knees. You are so grateful for the Lord. But God, if you could just do this one thing for them, this one thing. I came across a video the other night on YouTube. Um, I do the dishes, that's one of my jobs in the house and I like to watch sermons on my iPad while I'm doing that. Or I'll be honest, sometimes I watch like NBA highlights or you know, bike race footage and then just whatever random video. I think last night it was like six deadliest alligator encounters. Yeah, I'm gonna watch that. <laughs> so I don't know why I clicked on this one, but it, it caught my attention. The title was Weatherman Quits. Weatherman quits. It's a grainy video. It's just over a minute long, and the guy's wearing clothes out of the 90s. It's an old video for sure, and it's, it's definitely right at the end of a weather broadcast. You still see kind of the, the map behind him, <clears throat> and he says this. This is how he ends. On a personal note tonight, after nearly three years as a weekend fill-in weather person slash reporter, I'm going to be ending my position here at Fox 28. Now, my goal has always been to be a full-time broadcast meteorologist and to be on the air on a nightly basis, but unfortunately, being the right person in the right place at the right time is a part of this TV game that I have just not yet been able to master. It was my intention to stay on as a full-time forecaster, and, and although I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here on the weekends, to continue in the present capacity would only serve to say that I am in agreement and satisfied 
But that is just not the case. Basically, after 13 years of striving to grab the whole pie, it's no longer possible to keep settling for just a taste of the crumbs. And so I was also, while washing dishes, thinking about this sermon on Abraham. And when I watched that, I felt like I understood Abraham better. Let me, let me kind of summarize this morning what happens with this guy, Abraham, from Genesis 12 through Genesis 20, and with his wife, Sarah. Because Abraham is this guy who knows that feeling, this feeling of wanting the whole pie, you know, even being promised the whole pie and feeling like he's settling for the crumbs, feeling like God is not, not providing for him. You know, God promises, let's back up a little bit. God promises in Genesis 12, this man, Abraham, kind of God changes his, his complete orientation with the world, his, his complete direction and intention and design for how he's going to interact with the world. He picks this one man, Abraham and his family, and he says, I'm going to work through you to bless the whole world. Specifically, he promises Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendants. And we think that hearing that promise from God would be enough, that that would be the whole pie. And for Abraham, it's enough for about half a chapter. He goes throughout the promised land that's occupied territory at the time. He's building altars to the Lord, even though this is enemy territory, because he knows it's going to belong to the Lord one day. He's just full of faith, and he's satisfied in the Lord. But by the end of the chapter, he's pretending that his wife is his sister to save his own life. Puts her in serious danger. So it's not exactly his most faithful moment by then. And it doesn't get a lot better by Genesis 15. Come with me if you've got your Bible, Genesis 15, verse 1. And I want you to hear what God says to Abraham at the very start of Genesis 15. God says, do not be afraid, Abram. Now, eventually his name gets changed to Abraham, same guy. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward, he says. Now, who do you tell not to be afraid? Someone who's afraid. (laughs) Why does God say that to him? Because he's doubting. He's disappointed. In Genesis 12, at the beginning, when God comes and speaks to him, I mean, he believes this guy. But by Genesis 15, he is not sure he can trust God to fulfill the promise. And he is just filled with this doubt and disappointment. And we could argue. We could argue that that is unfair and irrational. You might think about yourself sometimes when you you feel like God's being unfair to you. Is that rational? Because in Genesis 14, there's this crazy story in Genesis 14. It's, it's like a special ops story where Abraham takes 318 of his own men, we're told, trained men, and goes and wipes out several kings and their whole armies just to save his nephew Lot. So Abraham, by Genesis 15, is not one man out in the desert kind of against the world all by himself. He takes 318 of his men and goes and beats a bunch of armies. Okay, and we're also told in Genesis 13 that God has made Abraham incredibly wealthy. So by Genesis 15, everybody in the ancient world knows Abraham's name. Everybody does. You would pay if you didn't know his name. 
And so by Genesis 15, remember Genesis 12, God promises he's going to make him great, his name great, and going to bless him and bless the world through his descendants. By Genesis 15, God has already made good on two of the three of those promises. Okay, so it's not exactly like he's just tasting the crumbs. But, and how many of you can relate to this? Despite all that God has done for him, it's that one thing he does not have yet that he wants. You know what that's like? Like God has done a great many things for him, but he doesn't have a son yet. And because of this, he's doubting God, he's disappointed, he's afraid. And so he says to God, look at 15 verse 2, Sovereign Lord, now remember everything that he has already, but look what he says. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? He goes on in verse 9, Sovereign Lord, how can I know after God makes more promises to him? He's filled with doubt, filled with doubt because of the one thing. And I bet you can relate to that. You know what it's like to be waiting on one thing from the Lord, to be thankful for all those other things you've had, but there's that one thing that you don't have. And as long as you don't have that one thing, you just don't know if you can trust this guy or not. For the record, that doesn't make you a sinner, okay? It's everything else that makes us a sinner. (laughs) That just makes you human. You know, um, Jesus tells us that we are to ask God for what we want. There's nothing wrong with having those things that we want. I can think of a family here who's been dealing with an undiagnosed issue with one of their children. And I'll tell you, I know every day they are praying in gratitude for all the Lord has done for them. But there is one thing they're on their knees about every day, right? Their son. One thing they're waiting on. I can think of another family here who's been dealing with dementia and care for a family member with dementia and their family. I'll tell you, they're grateful for all that the Lord has done in their lives, but there's that one thing they're praying about every day. You know what that's like? And when you're in that spot waiting on that one thing, wanting that one thing from the Lord that the Lord is not providing, what happens? You're just filled with this doubt and this disappointment and distrust for God. And at that moment, wouldn't it be nice if there was somebody beside you whose faith you could rely on? Have you ever done that, borrowed somebody else's faith? Somebody else's faith has kind of picked you up. And wouldn't it be nice if somebody close to Abraham had the faith that would just pick him up in this moment? But sadly, that's not what he has, if you read. Turn over to chapter 16 with me. Abraham has a wife, her name's Sarai, eventually Sarah. And Hebrews 11 remembers both Abraham and Sarah as these heroes of faith, but I don't know if the author of Hebrews actually read through Genesis 12 through 20. I know they did, but the reality is they're filled with doubt through this whole thing, especially Sarah. Now, let's be really fair to Sarah. By Genesis 16, Sarah has not talked to God herself. Instead, her husband came in one day, who's this old guy, and he says, babe, we're going to have a kid. And he says, "Uh, get this. God told me we're going to have a son and that we should move. 
and we should take our whole family and go to a whole other country. We should leave behind all of our stuff and just set out on our own, waiting on God to give us this baby. It's gonna be awesome. And, and to her credit, she goes, she goes. She has enough faith to do that. But by Genesis 16, the same doubt and disappointment that her husband has, the same waiting and anticipation from God and not receiving, it's just overcome her. So look at this, chapter 16, verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. So go sleep with my slave and perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Notice whose fault it is. It's God's fault. It's God's fault. And so if this is going to get fixed, if we're ever going to experience the fulfillment of this promise, I'm going to have to do it. You know, she's motivated by the same doubt and disappointment that he is, and she's so overcome by that doubt and disappointment in God that she can't even see that she's victimizing this other woman in the process. Like totally taking advantage of her. I'm gonna build my family through her. She doesn't even care. Okay, but be sympathetic here, why? Because she's hurting. There's one thing she wants more than anything in the world. And because she's not getting it, she's just willing to run over somebody else. Now, there's a sermon here about Hagar and the tremendous woman that she is. We'll save that sermon for another time. Focus on Abraham and Sarah. Wouldn't it be nice if Abram had had somebody at his side whose faith he could borrow? But what's the reality? When we're working or struggling or waiting or wanting for that one thing in our life from God, usually the people closest to us want the same thing, right? I can guarantee you, Lindsay and I's prayers are probably almost exactly the same every day in terms of what we're praying for, what we desire most for our family, for the people we love, right? And so the, the same doubt and disappointment that I'm having, she's probably having at the same time. We think, oh, I've got my spouse or I've got my best friend. They're probably dealing with the same stuff. And it makes me wonder if Abraham and Sarah had been a part of a small group at their church, would Hagar have happened? <laughs> think about that. All right, that's a side note. Sign up for a small group. <laughs> Let me summarize Genesis 12 through 20. Genesis 12, God makes this big promise, this series of promises to Abraham. Genesis 12 through 20 is Abraham and Sarah wrestling with doubt, being overcome by doubt and disappointment as God fails to deliver on that promise in their minds. And so if there's one question that summarizes these chapters, the question is, God, can we count on you or not? God, are you going to follow through and give us what you've promised or not? Here's what I love about God. God and his kindness just sticks with them. I mean, some of you need to hear that today. Like in this human condition of doubting and being disappointed in God while we wait on God, what does God do? Just sticks with us. 
You know, in fact, God comes to Abraham in Genesis 15 and he says, okay, you don't believe me? I'm gonna make a covenant with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this official, I'm gonna make a promise. And so he takes, let's look at it, a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon, all these unsuspecting animals, and he cuts them in half, which was the way that you made promises in the ancient world. I'm glad that's not the way that we do it today, but that's how you did it back then. And that's a comfort to Abraham. Like God goes and does some cutting and God moves through these animals and it confirms this promise. And so Abraham believes again in Genesis, Genesis 15 for a few verses, and then he's overcome by doubt again. And so God knows that. You go to Genesis 17. And God says, Abraham, I see that you're doubting. Let's make a promise again. Let's do some more cutting. This time you go get your knives. And Abraham's like, that's great. What animals am I supposed to cut? And God says, let me tell you about this little thing I call circumcision. <laughs> Y'all, that is funny right there. <laughs> you're like, I don't know if I can laugh at that. Abraham's standing there with these knives. He's like, what am I cutting? You know, uh, yeah, that's funny. I know Brescian loved that one. He loved <laughs> But Abraham follows through, circumcises himself, circumcises all the boys and men in his, his clan, his family. And now he's confirmed like, okay, God's going to follow through. The marks of this promise are now on our bodies. God's going to follow through on this promise by Genesis 18. When these strangers show up again, Abraham doesn't believe and he laughs at the Lord. He still doesn't believe. So throughout these chapters, you have Abraham again and again, and Sarah along with him just doubting the Lord because above all, they want one thing that they still don't have. So let me show you. Go back to Genesis 15, verse 1. And we, we flew by this, but I hope you saw it when we did. Genesis 15, 1, let me show you. What does God say? What does God say to Abraham the moment he knows that doubt, disappointment is entering his heart? What does he say? This is what he says. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Look at that. When God senses that Abraham is doubting, because he doesn't have the one thing he wants most, God says, Abram, I am all you need. I am actually your reward. And you may be waiting on something from me, but you are not waiting on me. Me, you have, and I'm enough. I mean, think about this. There's the human side of this story and there's God's side. The human side, you and me, and our doubting and waiting on that one thing from God, like Abraham and Sarah, we're just asking God, God, are you gonna follow through? Can we count on you? Are you gonna give us what you have promised to give us? And what's God saying to us? Am I not enough? Am I not enough? I mean, how do you, how do you get to that point where it's not, I need the Lord and blank? And it's just, I need the Lord. How do you get there? How do you get there? Now remember, Genesis, Genesis is not just about these people a long time ago. Genesis is this window into our lives. 
And remember, it starts with the story of our creation, our design, and our purpose, and then sin enters the equation. It's a commentary on what it means to be a sinful person in need of a gracious and loving Savior. And then here in this story, this just story that spreads over chapters, we, just, we see like the essence of what it means to be a human in this world who's waiting on God and wanting from God, right? That's what we're seeing here in this Abraham's story. And the response of the Lord is that in your waiting and your wanting, when you're being filled with doubt and disappointment, that's also the only time that you can learn, I'm actually enough. And God's greatest desire for us is that we would be satisfied in him, that he would be enough for us. I think about Paul. The Apostle Paul, and I know you were thinking the same passage. Paul, when he writes Philippians, is in prison. And so, I mean, you just think about that. He's in prison. And this is what he says in prison. He says, I have learned to be content. I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's the secret? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Pay attention. What's the secret to being content? It's one word in the last line, him. That's it. But Paul has learned, and, and, he, and he learned it. I mean, pay attention. He doesn't say, I know how to be content in every circumstance. What does he say? I learned it. I learned it from being disappointed, from doubting God, from wondering if God was going to provide, from being, uh, having all kinds of hardships, being stoned and shipwrecked, all kinds of things Paul goes through in his life. What did those things teach him? He learned to be content. Something he learned. Hmm. I'll end with this story. Brother Breeshin lost his grandmother a couple weeks ago, Mama Lancaster. And uh, the funeral was in Paris, Tennessee, where Breeshin grew up and where she still lives. So I went up there to see it. And uh, so Middle Tennessee. And Breeshin did the whole funeral. Uh, he led the worship, did the eulogy. It was really beautiful. And, and then other people got up and said things, but Breeshin led the whole service. And afterwards, the funeral home attendant is this kind of thick Middle Tennessee guy walks up and he says, well, that Breeshin, that Breeshin puts the fun in funeral. <laughs> like, you're right, he did. He did put the fun in that funeral. Um, uh, Mama Lancaster lived to be almost 100 years old. Almost 100 years old, and... Um, Throughout the service, Breeshin and then other children, grandchildren, and greats and great-greats who were all there got up to, to bear witness to this wonderful woman. It was a beautiful funeral. Um, not only is, you know, are all of her children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren faithful, but they can all sing like Breeshin. So it was, was kind of like a free a cappella concert at Mama Lancaster's funeral. And one by one, as everybody got up to testify about her, what they mostly testify was about her, her great faith. And her life had not been easy. She lost her husband 30 years earlier. She had lived as a widow for 30 years. 
Um, she lost a son and a daughter-in-law. Her life had been very difficult. Several people testified to those things, and then they showed a video of her speaking that one of the children or grandchildren had sat down with her and recorded a video of her a couple of years ago talking about her life. And what I was struck by in the stories is every time she would talk about these events in life, whether that was loss or birth, some, um, a death or a great gift or blessing, almost every sentence, no matter what, ended with her talking about the Lord and how good the Lord had been to her. I just, every, she talked about, she was born in the Great Depression. She had one pair of shoes in the Great Depression. She said, I was so thankful for that one pair of shoes. God was so good to me, she said. Her little 90-year-old hands just pointing upwards to the Lord. God is so good to me. And you leave a service like that and you think, I want to believe like that. You know, I want that kind of, of faith. Don't you? I mean, don't you want the Lord to be enough reward for you? I'll tell you, that's what I want. And I got a long ways to go. <laughs> but I see someone like that, and I think, that's what I want. I want the Lord to be enough. I want the Lord and that's it. Can I pray over you? God, these are your people here, your sons and your daughters. And each of them, God, have something on their hearts. They have something they're longing for. Something, God, that they beg you for. God, you've told us to ask, and it will be given to us to seek, and we'll find. There's nothing wrong with that longing, God. I pray that you would honor the desires of their hearts, but mostly, God, would you, while we wait, help us learn to be content in you? Would you help us, God, to realize that you are enough, that you're not just our reward, you are our very great reward. And in this, God, we give you great praise and thanks. I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.